Why Always Us is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bets with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello, I'm David Mooney. And I'm Sam Lee. And this is Why Always Us, a Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. Each week we'll be looking at the main stories from the last seven days at City and we'll have the very latest big name interviews, breaking news and reaction to the big matches. This week it's the big tie with Real Madrid, so how are City looking going into such a crucial match at the Bernabeu and what can they expect from the game? Plus Gabriel Jesus and the eternal pressure of playing alongside and instead of Aguero. Are we able to actually judge his performances in Sergio's shadow? And after a difficult first season, Riyad Mahrez is now putting in some consistently good performances, so why does Guardiola not give him a regular run in the side? This is Why Always Us, all about Manchester City. And don't forget, for ad-free podcasts, you can sign up to The Athletic with a 40% discount. Just use the code MANCITYPOD when you join. Well, it's the big one on Wednesday night and City travelled to Real Madrid. Results-wise, this week has been good preparation with two wins and two clean sheets. But just how ready are they for the Bernabeu, Sam? <laughs> this is the mad thing. And it, it's like, you could look at it and say, oh, Laporte's back. And it's so e- it's so tempting and yeah, easy to think, oh, Laporte's back and they've got two clean sheets and everything's fine. But that was, I, I don't that was a bit was, of ring rust, wasn't it? I don't it? think it was particularly good against Leicester, um, which is like, fine. I'm not saying, who is this guy? What's going on? Obviously, it's obvious why somebody's been out for four or five months would, would struggle. Um, but I mean, he has to play in Madrid. He has to. That's that, there's not even a question. Um, you'd have Laporte at his worst over any of the other defenders at their worst, and at the moment, you know, pretty much all of the other defenders are <laughs> in their worst moment. Um, but I don't. I don't know. I couldn't tell but you. The truth is, though, City have not looked like keeping a clean sheet for for months and months and months. Two on the bounce. Two Laporte starts. Yeah, I know. That, that's why I'm thinking. But again, it's that causation versus correlation. I think it's they've just they've kept the clean sheets. You know, if Vardy's finish had been two centimeters to the right, that probably would have hit the post and gone in. And then we wouldn't be talking about oh clean sheets and it's looking better because Laporte's back because that would have been Laporte's fault that goal. So yeah, I think I think that's just a bit of a correlation there. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean Leicester they didn't have great chances, but they could have easily scored. Um, there's no point going into all the whole penalty and VAR stuff again. Um, but yeah, I, it's hard to, to even sum up City recently. Um, obviously, the win against West Ham, the win against Leicester, the clean sheets are there. I'm, I'm not sure if they'll still be there against Real Madrid. We'll go into that. Um, they're, they're still missing chances. Like Aguero's Aguero's gone on a bit of a run without scoring, but that, Four now. Four that finish he scored, that finish he put in in the weekend, he was offside and he knew it. Everyone knew it. Great finish. The finish against United in the Carabao Cup when everyone else was messing around and the ball came into him and he just flicked it straight away past the hair, completely caught the hair out. That was fantastic. That was Just outside, outside well. yeah. It just, I don't know. You, I don't know. Maybe it's because, maybe again, it's the same kind of thing. It's easy to think Laporte is back so everything's going to be fine and it's easy to think it's Aguero, it doesn't matter. But like when, yeah, when, you, when you think about like Gabriel Jesus not scoring, you worry more about him, but you don't worry so much about about Aguero. I is think that the, fair, the, the difference, there yeah, the difference with Aguero though, on the, on those two chances that you that you're talking about, both of those chances, he didn't score them because he was offside. If you know what I mean, he scored them like whether if he was onside or not in yeah, those yeah, chances, yeah. he would have scored. Yeah, exactly. Them. Yeah, yeah. yeah like it's it's still there for him. Yeah. Um, I mean the penalty thing again. I'm sure we'll go into, <laughs> but this this just all ties into the fact that I'm. This might not be very coherent, but I don't know what state. Uh, Man City in are in heading into this Real Madrid game I really don't know um, are they good defensively are they going to take their chances I was just speaking to somebody beforehand who's kind of you know switched on going on what's going on around City and it was like it could be it could be 4 all. it could be 4-1 to, to Madrid it could be 4-1 to City City you know Pep knows Pep knows he can how exactly how he knows that they can and he knows exactly how City can cause Madrid problems but he also knows that Madrid can cause them problems 
and it's just going to come down to scoring on the night. Um, but again, I, I don't think we've seen in the West Ham game and the Leicester game, even in victories, that City have all of a sudden clicked out of their their little slump. In they front don't of look goal. clinical. That's the thing, do they? No, not at all. They don't look clinical. They don't look uh, necessarily confident. And that's that's the biggest thing that's going to have to change. But even so, City have scored goals. You know, scored was it f- six over two legs against Monaco? Went out, scored. Obviously, beat Spurs last season. I, was it four? It wasn't five four, was it? it was no, four, it was four three. three yeah. Um, you just forget because it was so mad. Uh, but they, they've, see, scoring goals arguably hasn't been their problem. It's keeping them out. But um, I'm sure we'll talk about Madrid. But they've had problems scoring recently, anyway. But I think what I've always been saying, and I may have always said this on the podcast, is. If it comes down to two fairly evenly matched teams in City and Madrid, I'm, I'm kind of gonna, tempted to lean towards that European experience that everybody talks about, and I'm, I'm still kind of, I'm still leaning towards Madrid for that reason now. And it's a bit like all the all the talk about Atletico Madrid recently, about oh, they're not very they're not very good at them anymore. They're having a, a tough season. You know, the new signings haven't really worked out. What's going on with Diego Simeone? And I was thinking, well, I'm, still, I'm still sure Liverpool are going to go through over the two legs. But I was thinking. That, like it, it, all it takes is a big game in your own stadium just to spark something and a big unexpected. performance in that game and then, you get yeah. a big performance and everything turns around and I wouldn't be that surprised if that happened with Real Madrid I mean I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too surprised if it happened with City but I'd be less surprised if it was Madrid who did it it's I mean it's a it's a key time for City now and we learnt this week as well that Real will be without Eden Hazard yeah well I I, I read a piece in Marker. Sunday about um, just how they were getting on and it was very much a kind of look at all these problems about Real Madrid it was very much a it was quite it wasn't dramatic but it was in very much a kind of negative light and there was a few things that I looked at it and thought well that could easily change like what I was saying about Atletico Madrid you know, it was stuff like you know oh even Courtois making mistakes now because you know he made a mistake for the goal against uh, Levante at the weekend but that's not, he's not necessarily going to do that there was some stuff about oh you know um Zidane's teams they've lacked um, tempo recently and one of the best things about Zidane is they were saying this at the time I was reading again some pieces from Madrid when the draw was made and also recently but they all say whether it's in positive context or negative uh, Madrid always used to play for 95 minutes full tempo but they, they reckon they've lost that again a bit recently but again a big night against Man City I think you'll get that back there'll, there'll be some doubt about the formation he wants to use will he go for five men in midfield and try and keep the ball off City or will he go 4-3-3 he would be mad to try and keep the ball off City that's what's the point like Real Madrid have never done that anyway but you also think I mean I know I know Madrid have had problems scoring goals for spells this season but you'd also say they'd be daft not to try and attack City on their own, on their own patch yeah but at the same time if you play on the counter-attack against Man City with people like and it's not the same as before when Madrid have played against um, Barca for argument's sake or or Bayern Munich or City or whoever they haven't got Ronaldo you know it's different but if Bale's fit enough for 90 minutes if, if Vinicius is the one who would otherwise play and then probably Benzema up front even though they got Joric um, on the counter-attack again it's, it's kind of like the situation United have got where United, when they play on the counter-attack, they look pretty good. When they can't, they, they, they tend, or they can have these problems. If, if Real Madrid could play on the counter-attack with players like that against City, who may be caught with men up the pitch, who haven't done pretty well who with counter-attacks this had season. had defensive issues it, it this season. Seem, it seems like the way to go. So, yeah, so there's, you know, the, the, the view in Spain is now, obviously, Madrid went out of the Copa del Rey. They've dropped five points in the last two games. Now they're not top anymore for the first time in months. So it's all a bit like, oh, what's going on? But it's more of a a very recent blip, I would say, rather than with City. They're still a really good side, obviously. I've said this millions of times this season. They're not all all the way down the table. They're not struggling to get into Europe. They're still second. You know, they're still really good. But the problems that you've had have been consistent for months, and they they've been dealing with counter attacks, giving away stupid goals. And also, City had these problems in Europe when they were really good in the league anyway. <laughs> so it, it, it's more like... That's maybe, it. You, f- you feel me with confidence. Sam. I know, I know. And this might, this might be... It's not me being negative. Or maybe it is. But maybe it's like, you know, that natural kind of pessimism. You see a team so closely, you think... Oh, you know, obviously, it's more so when you're a fan. But you see, when you see a team so closely, you think, oh, I'm worried about that. And I'm worried about that. And it's harder to make the leap of, or oh, they'll turn up on a big night. Whereas with Real Madrid, you go, ah, oh, they'll be fine. Yeah, I know I'm, what you mean. I'm sure somebody in Madrid could say, oh, it's Man City. You know, they've got great players like Sterling. They'll Guerrero. be fine on the They'll night. They'll be fine. And I could say, well, actually, no. So, yeah, it, it might be one of those. But 
the, the Madrid thing is very weird because they're in a bit of a, a difficult moment, as they say in the, the Spanish football language. But I think it's a very temporary moment, to be honest, even without Hazard, which is obviously going to be big. You mentioned Raheem Sterling there. Um, he's been talking quite openly uh, this week about uh, about the challenge that Real Madrid would present in the future, and it's it's keen, I'm keen to stress that it, that it's not talking about an immediate transfer. No. But he he did leave the door open, didn't he? Yeah, because I've written before, and again, this is not to the surprise of anybody. He likes the idea of playing for Real Madrid, but more more than that, it's he would quite happily go to Real Madrid, not the summer coming up, but the next one, quite happily. As far as I've could make out I said on a previous podcast um, about the agent um, Sterling's agent being quite keen to get him to Madrid which unsurprisingly he heard about and when I was, when I had spoke to him the other week he brought it up immediately it was the first time I'd spoken to him so that was good <laughs> um, but I'm saying it again and at the end of the day as far as I know it's true it is true um, I'm this summer, who knows what's going to happen? You know, there's a whole FFP. Who knows? There's a hot. There's but a. There's a. Yeah. To go back to what we were saying, Sterling. Yeah, likes the idea of playing for Real Madrid. He's in no hurry to go, but he, you know, if the off, if the opportunity is there soon, or you know, eighteen months, he would take it. And again, it comes back to the to the interview itself. As far as I know, again, City say they knew it was happening, but they didn't set it up. You know, it wasn't their interview. Not sure they did know it was happening, and it, it it's just one of those where it, you know it's one of those interviews where. Footballers know exactly what they're saying. It's always with Real Madrid as well. I always remember Cristiano Ronaldo. It was always that. Oh, I'm very happy here at the moment, but you never know what happens in future. Yeah. And in fact, it came out over the weekend in the the article on the Athletic about what it takes to Real, to manage Real Madrid. Um, they said in there that there was a clause with Ronaldo in his last season at United where he wanted to go in 2008, but he stayed for the extra year. And there was a 30 million clause, 30 million euros, I think it was, where if Madrid didn't sign him in the summer of 2009 they would have had to pay Ronaldo 30 million and if Ronaldo decided he didn't want to go to Madrid he would have had to pay Madrid 30 million so all the way through that summer Madrid, uh, Ronaldo was giving those interviews oh you never know in future and footballers know exactly what that means you know if you didn't want to talk about Real Madrid don't you talk about talk, it yeah you don't talk about it it's, I, I don't know if I I don't know how much City I can't speak for all City fans on this but I, I know for myself as a City fan if he were to, if he were in a couple of seasons time to decide that he wants to go to Real Madrid I kind of wish him well because I, what, what I've seen from him for, for the last few years at City is, is one of the players that I was really excited to sign when he signed and I've watched him develop into one of the one of the Premier League's best players and I've enjoyed watching him play for, for two or three seasons now. yeah exactly and he's, he's been fantastic I'm sure he will continue to be fantastic I mean whether he goes to Real Madrid or not I don't know but in, yeah in this hypothetical situation it's one of those where you see he's somebody who's worked hard for the club not kind of served his time but you know what I mean if, if you were to go that would be Five or six years he'll have played for City. Yeah, and he's become he's earned a top it, player. Think. Yeah, and exactly, yeah. and it's it's always one of those things where it's Real Madrid. Like as Pep said at the weekend, it's Real Madrid, it's Barcelona. You got to tremble if they come knocking at the door. And all players would wanna would wanna go. It's always how it has been. It's it's always been that way in the past. You know, they've they've managed to get Hazard, they managed to get Ronaldo, they managed to get Kaki. All these players, Real Madrid is still, even if they're not always, you know, the top team in the league. Real Madrid is Real Madrid. So yeah, if he were to go, that's fine. And the other thing is, yeah, he's worked hard, but he's been committed, and he is committed. Like yeah. the other part of that interview, very like, specifically tapped into that very kind of City fan mentality of, you know, discussing why City players haven't been given, like either the PFA awards or more international awards. He was like, look, we've we've won this, and he was talking about like Aguero not winning awards before he was even at the club. So you can see he's, he's very committed to City. He, he is very much a City player. So I can see why. Yeah, you know, if he were to go to Madrid in a couple of years, presumably in the sense that he wasn't, you know, kicking off and making a big, a big fuss about it. Yeah, then you yeah you'd be like, well, fine. Yeah. Uh, speaking of him, is he is he going to be fit to to face Madrid? I reckon so. I reckon so. He doesn't get injured at all. And this, so it's, it's weird that he's injured now. Um, but I just think the way he's always recovered, you know, recovered whether there's like two games between, two days between games, he's, he's always been ready to go. He's always fit. Um, and as somebody who would be recovering from an injury for a couple of weeks, I would imagine he is the type of player who can play straight away. And as, as we saw against Leicester at the weekend, I see you were all right against Leicester. But there was just no pace, was there really? Like there was no, there was like, there was no even running in behind. I think Mares wanted it, and maybe for whatever reason they didn't do it. But there were times where 
especially in the first bit, you could just see there were spaces opening up for De Bruyne to maybe pass the ball through. And just nothing going just through. nobody there. But if you've got Sterling on the shoulder all the time, as I've written about recently, as something he does often, that is a new, that is a new element to it. I mean, maybe... Maybe Sane would start. Well, I was going to say, how, fit, how, how close is he to fitness? The only thing about that is, you know with Sterling, and again, this is in the article I wrote before, this is basically the, the thrust of it. Even though he's been missing those horrific chances, he was still always doing all the other stuff. He was still making those runs. He was still creating stuff. He was still, as Pep said after his miss, Sterling's miss against United in the Carabao Cup, he, you know, he makes that chance that nobody else can make. Because of that pace to go in behind, maybe Sane is one as well. But he also does all the defensive work. He runs back. Now, the, the thing is, and this was the debate I was just having with this, with this guy before, w- would, you pl- would you take that, what I would say, a massive gamble of playing Sane? Not the fitness thing, because if he were to start, you would say he'd be ready, or at least he'd be ready to give you 70 minutes, and maybe change the game. And maybe you've got Sterling on the right and Sane on the left, and how good does that sound? Exactly. And you've got, you've got De Bruyne putting in balls in behind to Sane and Sterling. It would be amazing. But that whole thing that Sterling gives you and this is the whole thing about why Sane didn't play at the end of that last season so much the other way going the other way would he be that switched on to go and do the defensive stuff and Madrid on the counter attack would you do it I get that and who but would play equally, behind him would you play Mendy and say just don't go forward I, I do get that but equally I think back to what was what was City's biggest game of last season there was the home Liverpool. game with Liverpool yeah. and Sane was in it yeah, and he scored true. very true it was it was, it, it was do or die that night yeah very true very true. Although at that point, it hadn't really got to the stage where it was at the end of the season where it was like, okay, we definitely can't play Sane if we want, if we want to run back. Well, I don't know. Um, but uh, but it, maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's just the fact that Pep thinks, well, we need to score goals. We need to score an away goal. You know, we can't get done by away goals again. We need to go and score three. Yeah. So maybe he just, I mean, maybe, maybe he's not even ready. Maybe Sane is not even ready. And the fact he's not even been in the squad it's tempting to think he's not going to, but you wonder. And this, it's a nice curveball to throw, it is though, a isn't nice it? nice curveball to throw. And also, the, the guy I was speaking to before, he was, I'm sure Guardiola's going to have something up his sleeve. You know, like De Bruyne at right back, or, <laughs> or like two up, like Jesus and Aguero up front. No strikers like Old Trafford. Or whatever. And I was like, yeah. I mean, that goes back to the whole overthinking thing, which I've written about on, on Monday, which I'd like people to go and check out. Which I'm still kind of, I think I'm more undecided about now than I was when I set out to write it, even though... Are you overthinking the, this now? Yes, I am. <laughs> the vast majority the vast majority of replies and the weight of every answer in all those replies was absolutely doesn't. He prepares in the same way for every single game. And I said that like, when I was speaking to some of the people. I was like, look, I, I, I agree with you, but I'm going to ask these questions because that's what you know, people are saying he doesn't. People are saying he changes. And then I was, I was always thinking, when, it, when the games are so big, and he does so much work and he's so determined to control every variable. If he notices that it's not... Well, Zaha's a good player, but he will come up with something for Zaha. But if he notices something that Ronaldo does, you think, is he going to try something extra special to stop that? And, and again, it's like, but it, does that come under the, the umbrella of overthinking? Or is it, as Thomas Muller says in the article, it's a bit more of a communication thing and he, he feels a bit of a, a conflict between going well we're Man City we're going to play or we're Barcelona or we're Bayern Munich we're going to play this way or does he does he go with trying to stop the opposition because it's Ronaldo because it's Hazard because it's Messi Whoever, in the case yeah. of 2015 and that is very interesting and, and you do just think I, I don't think he overthinks these games but would I be surprised if De Bruyne played right back or De Bruyne played false nine I wouldn't be whatsoever. <laughs> but I would think that he'd done it because he thinks that's the best way yeah. to beat them. But why does he think that's the best way? Is it because... <laughs> wants, yeah, you know what I mean? I'm tying myself I still don't know. It's a self-fulfilling process. The, the whole thing with this article is I wanted to put across what these people think. I didn't want to go, well, this is what I think because yeah. I'd like to think I'm in a decent position to say that. And for a lot of articles, I'll be able to say, this is what I think Pep will do or this is why I don't think he'll do it or this is why I think he's wrong or this is why I think he's right. But for this think you want to speak to the people involved and yeah the consensus is no he doesn't overthink this is what he always does but if he was to do something mad against Madrid would not be surprised whatsoever and if it works <laughs> and if, but if it worked he wouldn't be overthinking exactly um, it, it, it's hard to ignore that City could be out of the Champions League for two seasons after this season as it stands so with that in mind what does this game mean for Guardiola well it's just another layer but not just one layer but two or three um just the whole the whole thing about you know if you wait for don't love us then we'll show them and you know siege mentality kind of thing you got that as well you know they 
you've got the importance of playing against Real Madrid, which for Pep is huge, which I'm going to write about, which I hadn't planned to write about, but I'm thinking it's a good topic, yeah, so I'm yeah. going to do it. So Wednesday morning, I'd imagine. If you listen to this Tuesday, I will currently be working very hard to get that article done. So that's one part of it, him going to the Bernabeu where he's always had a good record. Um, he's always you know, inflicted big results. He's always done well against Real Madrid. Um, basically, I need to explain the fact that everyone knows that you know, Barcelona and Madrid, it's like cat and dogs, they just don't like each other. But for him, you know, being this Catalan icon, but even, you know, even since he was a kid, you know, he was disliked when he was a Barca player in Madrid, obviously when he was a manager. When, if you're beating them 5-0 or 6-2, 6-2 at the Bernabeu as well, you've got, you know, they're going to hate you, obviously. And so there's just so many things thrown his way. The FFP stuff, which you mentioned, all the headlines in the Madrid press, when that was announced, it was all Pep's face on the front of it. Like, it's like nothing to do with Pep, really. And especially, in fact, no, it wasn't because it was the alleged period is twenty sixteen anyway. So, I mean, obviously he's kind of built on that, but it's not. It's not Pep. You, but if you wanted to put Ferran Soriano's face on the front of it, you could. But it's Pep they go for. So there's all that, and then there's this extra element of UEFA against us. Whether he, gen- I mean, he seem he seems to genuinely believe that because whenever he's asked about FFP, including after the the announcement, he always said, you know. My bosses have always told me exactly what's happened, so I trust them to get on with it. Now, whether that's the party line or not, maybe if that that could be completely genuine. But he's always he's always seemed to believe that City have been hard done by. So there is that element of it, and it's not just he's going to want to go and show you way for this, that, or the other. He's not going to want to go and show Madrid this, that, or the other. It's not just that he himself realizes. I think that his record in the Champions League hasn't been so good because in the in the build-up to the Spurs game last season, he was doing all the, I know I'm a failure because I haven't won and all this, you know, and if we lose, people are going to say I'm rubbish and all this, which is all very sarcastic because he knows very well what he thinks about that idea. And he knows very well that he, he's always said, I know I've been judged on the Champions League performance of Bayern Munich, but I don't think he's ever agreed with the fact that he actually is. He knows that he is, but he doesn't agree with it. So it was always that, I know I'm a failure. But after the Spurs game, he was actually a bit like, yeah, maybe we do have to have a look and realise that we need to do some stuff better or maybe it hasn't been as good. So he's got that thrown into the mix and then that's before the, the fact you consider they might this might be like the last hurrah I mean I'm sure he won't be thinking that because if you, if you go into it thinking in fact this is what Dominic Torrent told me if you go into it thinking you're going to lose you're going to lose yeah so he's not going to be thinking this could be it because if City win they're still going to have to go and play whoever Liverpool yeah. or PSG or well, it's going to be PSG in the final I'm sure. <laughs> um, but they're still going to, have to play whoever anyway in the next round and then the round after and then the final so you won't be thinking about that but the very idea of there might not be any more Champions League in two years it certainly adds to the noise from our point of view from the media point of view his press conference I mean can you imagine that press conference he's not played Real Madrid for six years as a manager but in that six years you know, he's become more hated because of his stance on politics. The kind of, the whole political situation, which I'm not an expert on, but it's very, you know, nationalistic, of course, which is very similar to what we've seen in America, what we're seeing in the UK. So there's a lot of far-right sentiment as well within Madrid. And, you know, the whole, you've got Catalan independence on one side and you've got the nationalists on the other side and you've got nationalists travelling up to Madrid for, sorry, travelling up from Madrid to Barcelona to, you know, just riot or you know to interfere with protest, peaceful yeah. protests and this kind of thing and you've got that and they haven't played in, in six years but you don't think of it like that because you always think and the way there's Guardiola says anything it's, all, it's on the front page in, in Madrid on, in, in the Madrid papers sometimes Pep doesn't help himself because if you only think back to last year I think it was this time last year when he was just talking about oh if you look at the best teams the last ten years you've got Barcelona Bayern Munich and Juventus because they're there every game they're always there in the in the league and they're always you know they're always there in the cups they're, they're there and which is consistent with what he says about Man City obviously he always says if you want to be the best team you need to be winning the league you need to be there consistently every weekend but obviously I think he had the nice little benefit there of being able to piss off people Madrid. in Madrid yeah. because obviously they'd won four of the last five Champions Leagues at that point so it was like how can you overlook us <laughs> and, but I mean that created a whole storm as well because Pep is like public enemy number one in, in Madrid basically um and they haven't played for six years. So him going back, so we go back to this press conference, he could be asked about, is this going to be your last chance? And this goes back to my point of, from the outside, two years without the Champions League, it puts more pressure on it. I'm sure for them, not so much, but I'm sure he'll be asked about it a lot in the press conference. And then the political situation in Catalonia has calmed down a bit recently, and there's more negotiation between the Spanish government um, and the, the Catalan 
party because of the um, regarding the political prisoners and you know, there's been more day release they can go on and the, the yellow ribbon mo- uh, motion has kind of calmed down a bit um, and there's negotiations next week but if you know if there's a press conference and they say Pep they ask something about the government they ask something about the political prisoners and Pep could give a good faith answer that's completely twisted on the front page of Marker and all of a sudden ahead of this negotiation next week you then got a national incident where Pep said something maybe honestly or maybe you know Pep, maybe you know he hasn't been able to help himself which is very capable of and all of a sudden it, it blows up again and it's not even football so you've got so many layers to this and then game. you've got the game on Wednesday <laughs> and then you've got, the, you've got the game on Wednesday where you've got his team going into it where they're not it's not the best city it's not the best team the Pep's ever taken to the Bernabeu it, arguably the, the weakest team because those Barca teams were incredible fine in the last season not so much but they still had that we are Barca mentality and they also had the very recent history of winning every game against Madrid at the Bernabeu and often in um, neutral venues Bayern Munich they played very well there and also Bayern Munich big club mentality big European mentality you know the thing he always says that you haven't got so god there's just so many elements of this game o- almost too many elements it's going to be fascinating too much for 90 minutes to bear out and it, it's just all of these things you know all of these things will be mentioned after the game depending on if Sergio Aguero scores a penalty or not or if Sterling scores a one-on-one or not if these go in no one's asked if they miss all this stuff comes out and it's, oh, did he overthink it because it's Real Madrid? And is the, you know, the political situation, is that part of it? And is the Champions League ban, is that part of it? But it, And this is, this is the point of the article about overthinking. In the article, there's quite a lot of stuff about, oh, against Liverpool, there was refereeing decisions that were bad and there was injuries that City had and against Monaco, nobody talks about the penalties that they had and this kind of stuff. And people in the comments, some people in the comments have been like, oh, this is, you know, this is ridiculous. But the point there isn't, People aren't saying Guardiola would have won eight Champions Leagues if the world was fair. It's this idea that the narrative of... He, he only overthinks it when they lose. Yeah. Exactly. So it's not, it's not the fact that everything's conspired against Pep so he hasn't won these Champions Leagues. It's, if you're going to analyse why his teams have lost a game, look at the injury situation or look at some of the decisions. Look at the coaching as well, but don't just immediately go to overthinking. So if City were to lose the game three-one, but they had loads of chances, and one of them, you know, one of them was a, a penalty. Maybe City missed a penalty. Maybe Madrid scored a penalty. Maybe it was a controversial VAR decision, something like that. Let's you know go back to analysing the game first and not this leap about overthinking. But not just overthinking. Now we've also got this incredible situation of everything I just mentioned, where it's Pep versus Madrid and everything that comes with it. I don't know how he's going to cope with the pressure. I don't know how I'm going to cope with the pressure, to be honest with you, Sam. Uh, no. One one final question on Madrid. Um, very quickly, what, what's a good result for City? Goal, a goal, some goals. Um, losing 3-2, um, losing 2-1. They need to score. I think they need to score. Um, I mean, losing 4-2. Because even, obviously, the first leg against Liverpool kind of killed them, but it didn't really. Because... The way they came back, obviously they had the whole United game, and I, I don't want to dwell on that United game in 2018 on the way to 100 points. But you know, tuning up at half time, I think City were. All the the highlights on the big screens at half time were from the Liverpool game, and it was all built up towards the Liverpool game and going at them. And City scored within two minutes against Liverpool, didn't they? And then obviously, as Torrent mentions, one of those things that people don't think about now, they think about overthinking or whatever. But they had that, City scored that goal just before half time. That should have counted. That should have counted. And, I mean, Liverpool were good, obviously. Not as good as they are now. But they're obviously good. But they would have been thinking, don't let City score first. And fucking hell. They scored within two minutes. And you think, this is happening. And, they'd, and they kept going and kept going. Didn't really look like they were going to do it. I remember they hit the post as well. Yeah. But they didn't really look like they were going to do it. But then if they'd have scored just before half-time, Liverpool would have been thinking, we are fucked here. Yeah. But that's when Pep got sent off. And that was what killed them. It was that goal. So even if... City were to lose 4-2 against Real Madrid. There's a chance. Yeah, because they can go, we've got to do this. And it, look, against Burnley, that would be that one game where you think, I don't care. Rhythm is one thing. I don't think you need rhythm. If you play Man United on, when is it? Are they playing? Yeah, the, the fixer-list knowledge has failed 8th, me It's the 8th, I think, the 8th of March. Is it the 8th? Oh, so it's not a midweek. Okay. So the Burnley game is still the game before. But anyway, you rest those players. Like if Sane is around then and you want to play Sane, you rest him against Burnley. You rest De Bruyne because it's Burnley and it doesn't matter anymore. That is the one game I would say. Forget it. Um, and they, if they lost 4-2 on Wednesday night, 
they would have hope that they could still go and do it. And I, I would actually back them to do it. I've, I've got a bad feeling about Wednesday night. I think it could go badly. But I think they could do very good things in the second leg. Basically, the Spurs game last year. But obviously, would it be away goals then? Would it be yeah. an elbow offside? Would it be a goal scored or not? Whatever. Yeah, so but if they're if they're still in the tie and they've a chance to, the and they've a chance to ramp up the chaos in the second leg, if they were to lose four two, again this is like my FFP analysis. If they were to lose four two, everyone would be talking as if it's the end of the world. They've been battered. This is the end for Pep, and he's you know he's had this bad result. But the second leg is still to come, and obviously where the FFP analysis comes in is Cass. And the closer you get to the second leg, the closer you start to think City have got a big chance. Here. Yeah. So yeah, for, if they were to lose four two, I think they'd be fine. But but let's be let's be a bit more positive. They can win. <laughs> a good win, yeah. If they, if they get a score draw, fine. If they win, fantastic. We don't know what's going to happen. If they score and they lose, this could be anything. fine. If they score, that's the important thing. Just score, score a goal. at least once. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you've got the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash Y, that's W-H-Y, and pay the postage of £4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as a listener to Why Always Us, you'll get two extra free beers. Beer52, a beer pioneers they travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries they're now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club each month beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme themes have included germany korea belgium south africa california new zealand and many more as an independent uk company beer 52 are also passionate about the uk craft beer scene as well the beauty of beer 52 is that you can leave at any time the power is in your hands your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine ferment and a beery snack thrown in as well just go to www.beer52.com forward slash y that's w-h-y to get your case free and don't forget right now why always us listeners get two extra free beers So we've said a couple of times in the past on the show that Gabriel Jesus might, and we stress might, be one of those players who is in the club's transfer plans this summer. And we've also said that he needs to show a more clinical side to his game as well. I actually think he's one of the most fascinating characters at City at the moment, Sam. Just with the position he is, you know, behind Aguero, playing alongside him sometimes, playing, you know, coming in for a few minutes and then grabbing certainly goals away from home as well. Yeah, I think he's a fascinating character in terms of the work he's doing away from the pitch to you know, handle these pressures, um, not just of, you know, living up to it. Aguero, um, I suppose, coming into the team when you've not played, you've not had a run of games, um, but just having the pressure, you know, Pep says all the time you've got to score the goals to all of them, so obviously that's the same. There's that picture, presumably there's video as well from after the game against Leicester, where Pep's speaking to him as if, very much kind of like a smile on the face, but it's like, that's it, that's it, that's what we need. Um, so it, there's that. Obviously in Brazil, he gets a lot of stick for playing up front for Brazil. Didn't score any goals at the World Cup, I think it was. Was moved out wide in the Copa last summer. Um, gets a lot of, you know, Brazil is a Brazil is like an unforgiving footballing country. We're talking you about Real number Madrid's. nine for Brazil as well. Yeah, exactly. We're talking about Real Madrid's, you know, the history of that club and the pressure and the expectation. You know, for Brazil, it's kind of, you know, times 10. Um, and yeah, you, you know, you're following in the footsteps of some of the best players to have ever played. So, so he's done a lot of work. Yeah, because I... I wrote an article about him after his hat-trick in Zagreb because it was one of those where I thought, well, yeah, he's scored a hat-trick against Zagreb, but it doesn't tell us anything. Like, Mendy played well that night. It doesn't tell us anything. These are players, it's like, fine, we'll only know if that was good or not six months down the line if he's built on it. And he hasn't since. But the the only good thing now about the Real Madrid game is he has scored against Leicester. So maybe, because I think he's a very streaky player, Somebody said in the was it in the Q and A, or I think it was a comment on the article I wrote about him last week. You know, oh, if if he scores against Leicester, he might go on a run. I was like, this is the funny thing. I was saying exactly the same thing at the start of December. If he scores against Burnley, he might go on a run, and he did. He scored a cracker against Burnley. Yeah, actually. and then he scored another one in the second half, and then I think that would have been before, unless my memory fails. But I think that would have been before his hat trick against Zagreb. So you go on that run, but I think I wrote in that game, in that piece after the Zagreb game which is all about his, the psychology of it, the work he's done with a personal trainer, the work he's done on the mental side of it, away from the game. The quotes he gave afterwards when he said he puts too much pressure on himself and sometimes he goes, I have to score, I have to score, I have to score, and he ends up missing, which is an incredible um, admission, basically. Um, but I think what I said in that article was it's, it's almost, it's not, you can't just 
overrule those goals he scored against Burnley. He can't overrule the goals he scored against Zagreb. But if you could take one off against Burnley or you could take one off against Zagreb and put it in the, the Manchester derby with which City lost, if you could put it in the Newcastle game, well, I think he missed a one-on-one against Newcastle when they ended up drawing two all. Those are the games where you want to see Jesus make the difference. And that's why he's a fascinating character because we're in that situation now exactly the same. But the good thing for him is if he is this streaky player, which I believe him to be, I don't think that's a radical opinion. He may have that confidence now. I was going to say, what, if he gets a chance against Real Madrid, he will take it. What does coming on replacing a man who has missed a penalty to to score the winning goal in the last ten minutes of a game? What what does that do for his confidence ahead of this game? Because it should, like any any normal player, you'd say, oh, it, it, it will give him a boost. But I, I think mean, it will give him a boost. But yeah, will it will it give him enough of a boost to override that kind of feeling of? Oh my god! I need to score. This is the big. This is a big game against Real Madrid. Because it's if he goes through on goal and it's you know like it can only take two or three seconds. But you know, as a footballer, as you're playing, but also as a fan, when somebody runs through on goal, you're thinking a million things. At a million same things time. are going through. Yeah. Head. And like, I remember when Sterling went through on goal against United. Oh, and he's not scoring this, which might have been like harsh or not. But obviously, he didn't. But it, obviously, what I think is completely independent to what happens to him on the pitch. But you just got that feeling of he ain't scoring this. And I wonder if. If Jesus goes throwing goal against Real Madrid, if anyone in that stadium is thinking he's going to score this, and I include him in that, and that's the interesting thing about Jesus, and that's why I wrote about him again last week, because I mentioned Aguero hasn't scored for four games now, but it's Aguero, it's less of a problem. He's got this striker's instinct, and that's not in doubt. Nobody at City now, obviously, when he came, you know, there was some doubts about him with Guardiola and that, but that's gone. But the, the issue with Jesus now is the coaching staff are thinking, is he ever going to have that killer's mentality? And this is why the goal against Leicester at the weekend is very good. But what does it mean for him? We don't know. But would he, he needs to score against Madrid. He needs to score against United. He needs to score against Burnley. He needs to score against Madrid next time. You know, this is what they want to see from him. Would he have that killer's mentality, though, if he wasn't competing with Aguero? Or, would he, or if he was just playing more often? Maybe. And this is the thing. This is where my personal opinion has always overlapped with, well, okay, if you're thinking about selling him, fine, I'll report that because it's from good sources. And like I said before, I think I'm glad it's been reported elsewhere now. It gives a bit more credence to it. People don't just have to believe me, um, which I never want. Um, <laughs> but the overlap with that is, my personal opinion is he's 22 years old. He's got a great record. I've, I, again, that Zagreb game, Zagreb game, I can't remember the exact stats now, but he's got some mad record in the Champions League, a lot of goals in the Champions League. For such a young player, I think he's got more goals at that age than Neymar had and all this kind of stuff. So on the one hand, you've got, he's scored a lot of goals. He's basically got one in two for City, I think, which is very good. Well, I've got his numbers. His he's, Go for it, he's, got, he's, he's 0.41 goals per game in the Premier League, which compares to 0.69 to Aguero. When you look at, at some of the, like Aguero is one of the best in terms of yeah, record Aguero in the league. Uh, Henri, 0.68. Shearer, 0.59. Rooney, 0.42. He's there and thereabouts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but it's, but and this is why it's always difficult. I think I might have mentioned this before with Lukaku when he was at United and at other clubs as well. There's always this feeling around them that they don't score enough when it actually matters, and that always seems harsh because you can look at somebody who might have 20 goals a season, or you can look at somebody who's got these incredible stats and think they're obviously scoring loads of goals. But like like I say, this may be harsh, but I think I think I think there's something in it. Take off one of those goals against Zagreb when look. Who's asked? Oh, it's obviously it's really good. I couldn't score a hat trick against Zagreb. They couldn't put Lucas Nemetra in the first team, and he wouldn't score a hat trick against Zagreb. But at the same time, that doesn't matter as much as can you score when it really matters. And Aguero has proven he can. And so he's got very similar to Rooney there, hasn't he? Yeah. But Rooney. And this is, I mean, this is I interesting. Mean, Rooney was bad for like the last, basically after Ferguson left, he was bad. So that's fine. But. Rooney never had a, this thing of he wouldn't score. He was always there in the big games. Yeah. You know, Rooney always had a good record. And that's the thing with Jesus. And it ties into what you're saying about Aguero and how we see Jesus. He needs to do it in those big games because that's what's demanded of him, especially now Guardiola's there, to go right back to the start. So, yeah, you, it's harsh because you look at all these goals and you go, he's there or thereabouts and he's got this great record. And he is only 22. But I think, as Guardiola said recently when he was talking about something else, goal scoring and goal scorers is a smell. You know, you need to have that sense that you're going to score goals. And I think they doubt that Jesus has that. And I think that's probably fair enough. And I think you could probably justify that despite... I personally think he'll be okay. I personally think if he were to stay for another couple of years, then we can judge whether he's ready or not. That's what I think. But if Pep's going to say privately, he hasn't got he doesn't it. quite see it. I, I, I can also go along with that. Because like I said, five goals against Burnley and Zagreb, fine. 
but put that one-on-one away against Newcastle, put that one-on-one away against United, and all of a sudden people start to think, actually, this guy has got it, but he's a very up-and-down player. Well, I was going to say, in terms of the numbers as well, with it being Premier League goals, what it does is it, it, it kind of cuts out all the all the argument around, oh, we, he only scores in batches against Oxford, and again, you know, yeah. you know when when, they, when they've played lower league sides. Um, you mentioned the, the kind of Guardiola's feeling. What do you see the future for, for Jesus? Is he, is he likely to be one of those moved on this well, summer? Well, the thing is, part of it, and like this was exactly the same conversations that were happening behind the scenes a year ago, exactly a year ago, but the thing they recognise then and now is if you are going to get rid of Gabriel Jesus, who are you going to get? And the mad thing is, if you were on the market for a striker, like a, a City kind of player, probably be around his age or certainly young, maybe they'd be 24, but certainly young, proven record of scoring goals. You'd get for Jesus. A lot of goals. <laughs> Jesus would be the one. So that is very weird. And again, I appreciate from the outside, if you had to just take my word for it, you'd think this doesn't make any sense. But there we are. But they know that. They appreciate that. They obviously want someone with that killer instinct. But they recognise that there aren't many people around who are available to City who have it. So that's kind of the reason why he didn't go last summer. So there's that. There's that element of, well, who would we get? But they, do, they are looking. If there is someone, and if they, they can do, do it. it, they would do it. But then you've also got the other element of who knows what's happening with you know, FFP and Cass. And, you know, just the income, the outgoings, everything is up in the air at the moment. But even before that, it was always difficult with Jesus because they were like, well, we would like somebody better than this guy. But, but how, many, <laughs> how many of those are there? And now, I mean, maybe two or three in the world. Maybe, well, you'd say Mbappe, but then sign an Mbappe. So if you take Mbappe out of the equation, you take out, I mean, maybe if Inter won 150 million for Lautaro Martinez, you take him out of the equation, who you're left with, you know, it's, it's very difficult, which they know, but this is kind of their quest to always be better. They always want better than what they've got, but Jesus is pretty good, but maybe not quite what they want, but this is time to shine, really. Real Madrid on Wednesday, go and... Go and do it. Go and do it there. Now, before we move on, I want to take a moment to tell you more about some of the great things going on at The Athletic. The Athletic is home to 400 of the best sports writers out there. Sam Lee is, of course, our dedicated Manchester City correspondent. Sam, tell us some more about uh, what you've been working on with uh, with City. Well, um, yeah, so on Monday, the big Does Pep Overthink Games article, which working on for months. Wanted to do that for, for August. Um, we spoke to players as well behind the scenes for that. Yeah, um, some of the former players. Raphael Honigstein, we, you know, we did it together. I couldn't have done it without him, basically. He spoke to Thomas Muller, Tony Cruz, um, Philip Lahm's agent. Um, there was a hope for a while I'd be able to speak to Philip Lahm and Andres Iniesta. Unfortunately, they fell through, but we'll get them another day. Um, but yeah, spoke to them. Spoke to Dominic Torrent. Spoke to Michael Reschka, who was the, um, the Bayern technical director at the time uh, for two... Uh, Pep's last two seasons of Bayern out of the three um, just to get because like I said earlier on I could say look he doesn't overthink things because of this and when he wins and I can make all these points that oh what about when he played a false nine at Old Trafford or two false nine you know nobody says it's overthinking then but it's much better when you've got the people involved so yeah um, worked hard a lot on that I think that's I'd like to think that's a good piece you know big athletic long read piece ahead of a big game um, what was last week Gab- that Gabriel Jesus piece uh, the most interesting Gabriel Jesus piece if you've not read either of them I would say is search on the app for the one I wrote after um, Zagreb. It's hard to find. Whenever I search Gabriel Jesus, it's always hard to come up. But if you ter- search "sad and alone," <laughs> because that was how he, you know, how he termed it. That's how he was before. So if you search for that one from December, that's good. It's like the first part. The second one is more of a comment from the West Ham game the other night, which is, "Look, this is a situation as it is. He needs to start scoring these goals and proving himself, basically." which is the conversation we just had, but written down in the sense that, well, these are all the ins, these are all the outs, this is what it all means. And obviously you went and scored against Leicester, so fair play to him. Very, genu- very timely. Yeah, and genuinely, fair play to him. Like I've, as you said earlier on, fascinating character. I think he's a really nice guy. Um, obviously thinks incredibly hard about what he's doing and works incredibly hard on it. So that's that's interesting as well. Um, recent stuff. What's, what's coming it's up next all, week? Have we got it's all been FFP related. Well, what's coming up next week? Um, on Wednesday, I'm going to write this piece, everything I mentioned earlier about Pep Guardiola, what it means to play Real Madrid. I'm going to write that because I hadn't planned it. You know, this Pep overthinking thing had been planned for months, but I hadn't planned it, but it's something that came to me and I thought that would be a good piece to write ahead of the game. But beyond this week, um, I've no idea. Um, I might as well say, I'm not, 
one for big announcements, but I'm not, I'm not keeping it secret either. But I wasn't at the Leicester game at the weekend and I'm not going to Madrid. I can't believe I'm not going to Madrid after going to Basel <laughs> and Schalke when it was freezing cold. <laughs> and now, now it's Madrid. I'm, I always wanted it to be Madrid, but yeah, typical. I'm not going to Madrid. Um, about to become a father, hopefully, but I'm in that stage now where it's so close, I can't basically go too far away from home in case the baby comes. So I don't know. Like If, if the baby's born on Friday when it's due to come, who knows? Who knows? What, yeah. um, I'm not going to Wembley in case it comes on on Sunday. Uh, I'm not going to any of the games after that. So I don't know what I'm doing. You know, that, that's why I'm this week. I'm thinking if I do this Real Madrid piece, that could be another really good piece, and it buys me a bit of time. <laughs> but next week, no idea. You know, I, I've, honestly, it's a bit scary because I've still got to deliver these good articles that people will hopefully pay for. I but thought we, you were going to say deliver a baby. Then I was no, like, oh, oh yeah, so. maybe. Well, you never know. We get stuck on the motorway on the on the way to Withenshaw. Um But yeah, you've got to deliver these good articles, but without going to the game. So I can't. Maybe if there's something big that comes from the Real Madrid game, we've got people going anyway. We've got really capable people going, covering, providing good city coverage. But well, I need to think of something new, so I don't know what I'm doing. Well, week. Michael Cox did Leicester uh, because you can also see what yes. uh, what what he thought of Riyad Mahrez's performance. Uh, we're we're, we're going to come to that shortly. Uh, Jack Pitt Brooks also been writing about things like the uh, Arsene Wenger proposals for the uh, changes to the offside law with uh, with the VAR discussion. If you can't get enough VAR uh, <laughs> chat, uh, and Danny Taylor did a good piece about uh, City and FFP and why Guardiola has kind of bought into the siege mentality at City. So uh, so there's plenty of stuff on there. Yeah. Simply put, it's uh, it's the best sports newsroom on the planet. The Real Madrid stuff's good as well. The Real Madrid, what you yeah. really get, because you say that the whole Champions League thing of you know what what does it what does it make any difference if they've won thirteen Champions Leagues and you know seven of them were sixty years ago or whatever? What difference does that make? If you read that piece, you get a proper it's idea of oh okay, this is this is a mad club. This yeah. is a club that is determined to win that competition so that, that's a good piece I'd recommend that yeah well you can see for yourself you can sign up for a free trial head to theathletic.com now and use the promo code mancitypod to get a 40% discount on an annual subscription So it's fair to say that Riyad Mahrez's first season was underwhelming, but his second season has been far from it. Perhaps you could even make the case for him being City's player of the year so far, maybe if it wasn't De Bruyne in the picture alongside him as well. Uh, but the question is, if Riyad Mahrez has been playing so well, why is he still being rotated by Guardiola as much as he is? I think, and this is a theory, but I'd suggest it to him if he was here and see if he agreed. I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind standing on this one. Um, I think it's because Bernardo Silva was so integral last season, is so popular, it's so hard working, it's still so good. Um, I mean, you can't put Bernardo in instead of De Bruyne, you just can't. Like, as much as you know he's that good, De Bruyne is still another step up, so you can't take De Bruyne out. But you need to, you need to make space for Bernardo somewhere, you need to make Bernardo feel loved. And the thing is, you could say, well, Sane didn't get that at the end of last season, but Sane wasn't kind of as hard working and as committed and as just, you know, everything Pep wants as Bernardo is and like do you remember the Brighton game at the start of the season when um, that was, was the Ports injury day was it yeah it was and Fo- it was 3-0 and Foden didn't come on Bernardo Silva came on and people were like why isn't Foden coming on this is ridiculous but part of the justification was it was, it was like three games into the season or yeah three or four and Bernardo hadn't played that many and one of the reasons was well you need to keep you know Bernardo was a big player last season probably City's player of the year did he actually win player of the year I can't I remember, can't remember. Really but probably should have. Um, and all of a sudden he's not playing, so you need to keep him happy. And obviously it's not just, oh, you're keeping him happy because he's a favourite. You're keeping him happy because he deserves to be kept happy. Do you know what I mean? He's still working hard. He's still doing all of this. So now this season, they don't play him on the left. Obviously they did the other day because Sterling's not there. But even though he's left-footed, they don't see him. You know, his qualities mean he's better on the right-hand side. So you've got two guys on the right-hand side who are both, probably Mahrez is having the better season, but you don't want to risk upsetting Bernardo because the efforts there in training to suggest that if you do pick Bernardo he's not going to let you down he's going to have a good game so that, I think that's an element of it yeah. and also you know let's, I don't think Mahrez has been on it every game I don't think he's been in that situation where obviously the Sane one was a bit different but he's not been in that situation where towards the end of that season where like Sterling and Bernardo were giving you everything so you couldn't take them out he's been good but, it, it but has he's not felt, been undroppable it has felt for Mahrez though that he's put in a, a great been, performance yeah, and then, then left and out the next game out. but I think maybe that's because the Bernardo thing, maybe. Just because it's like you've got to keep him happy and he, you know, he's ready to play. He's ready to give you his all. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who starts against Real Madrid, obviously. Um, What's changed for Mahrez this season? 
I think he gets it. You know, he gets it a bit more. He understands what's asked of him. You know, which isn't. You know, that's it's not just a Pep thing. It's not just a Guardiola thing. You know, new players go into a, a new club. You always got to adapt. Well, not always, but generally you've got a period of adaptation. But yeah, particularly with Guardiola, you know, at Leicester, you know, some of the players. I know somebody who interviewed one of the players, and off the record, they were like, "Well, you know, the right back at the time was like, you, you know, Mario isn't going to get back." So you, you, know, you position yourself accordingly and all to be able to deal with because it. you just yeah. know Mars isn't going to get back. That was just it. You know, that's not me saying it from the outside. Some blithe nonsense about oh, Leicester. It was always this, but he, he always had the same role in the team that he was used to. He never and he never had to get back. But that role in the team as well. That's interesting. At City, it's always different. You know, against the Leicester game, it was more about one on ones. Um, the Leicester game uh, uh, at the had when Guardiola said we got him in more one on ones. Um, but the other thing is, you know, some games you might have to, you know, just. Play, come back in and play the ball back to De Bruyne for De Bruyne to put the ball in. Sometimes we might have to stay wider. Sometimes we might have to come more inside. Different instructions every game, which takes a lot to get used to. So you've got the work rate element. You've also got like the kind of game intelligence element of it. And you know he's just he's had an extra year now. You know Sane had a quiet start to life at City, then really took off. Bernardo in his first season was very similar as well. Then he, obviously he sprang to life next year. And I, th- I think Mares going into this season, he was telling people, look, even Bernardo had a difficult first season. Now look at him. You know, last season. I don't think Mahrez has quite reached those Bernardo levels this year, but you make a good point. Maybe if he was given the run, maybe he would have. Yeah, I mean, the Aston Villa one stands out to me. Just dropped the very next week after a brace and looking the best player on the pitch by a mile. Yeah, although it wasn't Aguero as well. Was it the next game? Well, that, that doesn't fit my agenda. So, <laughs> well, if, even, even if it wasn't the very next game, Aguero then scored more goals and then didn't play against Sheffield United. It's like the bigger picture. Yeah. But it, but it, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe this is another debate, and it's difficult to have because they've won so much, and Pep always changes the team. This is part of the whole overthinking thing, which I didn't put in. But Dominic Torrent was like, "Look," because he'd read that story the other week about the players being unhappy, which is well sourced. As far as I, well, I know, it was well sourced. It's a legitimate concern among the players, but it goes to show how fickle footballers are. Because Torrent was saying, "He's always done me, this." Show yeah. me a game last season when they won. Um, three competitions in 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 England when they won 100 points a season before that. Show me when he repeated the same 11. He goes, it doesn't happen. He goes, Sam, you won't see it. You won't see this. He doesn't... Like, so, and this just ties into the whole idea that narratively, it's easy to say that when it's not going right. But, you know, maybe for certain players, it doesn't suit them coming in and out of the team. Maybe Gabriel Jesus is one of them. And, you know, maybe Aguero can deal with it now. Maybe, I don't know who else... David Silva, to a lesser extent, can deal with it now. They can cope with coming out of the team and going back in, and the performance is always high. Company said that was one of the beauties of the team. It's a machine. You could take someone out and put another part in, and it would always be fine. But maybe there's certain parts that that doesn't suit, and maybe Mahrez is one of those. So maybe that's interesting. You know, it's, you can't really criticise Guardiola because of all the good that he's done, but maybe at the same time you can in the sense that it's not the best for Mahrez. Maybe that's part of it. What could he offer against Madrid if he plays? Flitting behind. Um, if City were to look for that, if Laporte were to, to spread the play with those raking passes, which he hasn't done so much, certainly in the two last games, um, that um, work rate, because I think he worked very hard against Leicester, I think he makes more good decisions now. I, don't, I think he's less infuriating in terms of giving the ball away cheaply. You know, if there's a dribble, he won't just dribble for the sake of it. He won't just use the ball well and make sure City have it and then the move doesn't break down. And that's the kind of good decision-making that you need especially in these big games against Madrid. So maybe that, you know, you've also got the threat of Marcelo is another one. You know, Marcelo, they've been saying the continued selection of Marcelo has kind of destabilised the back line and he's not a player that that Madrid can rely upon so much anymore. My counterpoint to that was maybe this is wrong. It's Marcelo and it's the Champions League. He'll no doubt have a man of the match performance. But if he's not playing well at the moment, you've got someone who can get in behind him or get the better of him. So there's a lot of things Mahrez can offer you. But also, I do still think he's got that um, that kind of frustration in him where he could he could quite easily have a bad game he could quite easily keep cutting inside and keep getting tackled you know you, you just don't quite know with Mahrez and maybe that's may, maybe that's why Pep puts Bernardo in as well maybe that's why Pep might put Bernardo in against Real Madrid I don't know but there's certainly a lot of good stuff that, that Mahrez that Mahrez could show against Real Madrid he could be a key player <laughs> Okay, for the final part of the show, we uh, we get some of your questions in on Twitter, so uh, send them in for next week. Uh, first up is Man City Oracle. He asks, future penalty takers? Yes, Kevin De Bruyne is mentioned, but why has everyone overlooked Bernardo? Yeah, good question. Um, part of the re- When I wrote the article about this against Sheffield United, 
which people could probably still read now because it's still true today as much as it was then. Um, the thing with Bernardo is he's not always on the pitch. It's a bit like a Gundogan thing. You know, Gundogan was seen as the saviour at that point, wasn't he? And then obviously he missed against Spurs <laughs> and he's been tossed on the scrap heap. But Gundogan wasn't always going to be on the pitch and now there's Bernardo. Um, if he is, then then yeah, I suppose he could take one. But it's a bit like the De Bruyne thing, you know. I've asked De Bruyne, I think De Bruyne was asked again why he doesn't take him at the weekend. And he doesn't seem that, but he's like, yeah, I'll take one if so. He but doesn't maybe care, though, maybe, he? But yeah, in terms of, maybe he doesn't care in terms of, well, whatever, let the forwards get on with it. Maybe he doesn't want to. Maybe he's not going to go, give me this ball, I'm going to take this pen. Maybe he doesn't, maybe that's the, that's the mentality you need. And maybe Bernardo's the same, I don't know. But it's interesting that he's been overlooked, but maybe it's because he's not always on the pitch and you want someone. You think of best penalty takers, and it's always been Aguero because he's always been Aguero on the pitch. But before that, obviously, Yaya Torre. When Yaya Torre was taking the pens, he was always playing, so you just give it to him. A lot before other clubs, Frank Lampard, Ruud van Nistelrooy, off the top of my head, these are players you could always rely on because they're always going to play. Edison's normally playing. Yeah, but... <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> no. Even if there's a 99% chance he's going to score, if you tell Pep there's a 1% chance that he's going to score second. on the counter-attack, it's not going to happen. Simple yeah. as that. It's not fair, though. It's, it just isn't fair from a fan's point of view. We want to see it. Well, it's, Pep said he might hap- it might happen in a shootout. And, you know, maybe on Sunday. Sunday, the chance. Villa. Yeah. Maybe against Real Madrid in three weeks. Would anyone be surprised if this tie went to penalties? Well, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't be surprised if Edison stu- stood up and took one. No, Edison will take one in the shootout. Yeah. I'm sure he will. Yeah. In the current, cl- if it was Sunday, definitely, because you can't look around that team. I wouldn't let Gabriel Jesus anywhere near a penalty at the moment. Um, who else is low on confidence? Anyway, you couldn't get. I'm not going to go through all five, but, but yeah. if you were to name five players who was capable of scoring a penalty at the moment, you weren't getting one. You weren't naming five before you put Edison in there. Yeah. Uh, Callum asks, uh, is it me or does Pep seem much happier since the ban was announced? Seemed quite offish in the couple of months in the interviews, but now he's cracking jokes and talking about staying longer. Is it down to the fact that we've got the West Ham game in a week before Madrid? Um, I don't know. He does seem a bit chipper. Um, I'm trying to think. Does he? I'm not sure. I think, he, I think it comes and goes in stages. And I remember, yeah, I remember writing an, an article, a very rare athletic article based on a press conference was around the time of that Newcastle game where everyone was saying, oh, it's not looking right and he's going to go at the end of the season just because he doesn't look happy, basically. And he gave a big press conference saying, if people, you know, if people think I'm going to go, they don't know me and all of this. And it was exactly the same then. It was, he's been chippy for a few weeks. Now he seems happier. I don't think it's anything to do with it. But I mean, I don't, think he's happy, I don't think he's happier than the band's there. I mean, maybe he's in his element in terms of, okay, the world's against us now. We're going we're gonna to give it someone. Maybe he thinks... Everyone's everyone's coming in to have a go at City, and everyone's going to paint the world as bad for City. I'm going to go out and give, you know, another another side of the argument. I always remember whenever there was a bad result, the Monaco game in the first season always stands out. Whenever he lost, loads of journalists turned up to that, like national journalists that you wouldn't see week to week because it was a kind of, oh, you know, this is failure for Pep. He's not going to yeah. win the league. He's not going to win the Champions League. Let's see what we can get out of him. And he was at his most defiant and cheery then. So maybe maybe, maybe, maybe there is something in that. Maybe it is the, the old defiant streak coming out of him. And maybe that's why it was the same in December. Final question from Paul Johnson, uh, who says, I'd be interested to get Sam's take on the plethora of articles on City, in particular how journalists decide how to cover a certain angle on a story and how much their editors make that determination or how much it's their own personal take. Appreciate that City are the story right now. Well, yeah, they are the story. So obviously there's going to be ways to cover it. And obviously at The Athletic, we've covered it in different ways and in ways that a lot of people didn't like. Um, you know, people didn't like, people who weren't City fans didn't like my article on what happened inside the club and Guardiola's reaction and Soriano's reaction because they just, well, basically people didn't give me enough credit and said it comes directly from City. And if people know, well, people with any idea of how City <laughs> works would know they it's wouldn't not just give me all that information. It's just not a chance. So that annoyed me. But... There's also those different ways about the coverage that people aren't going to like. People didn't like my article. City fans didn't like Ollie's article, which was basically conditioned by the headline, I think, which was, you know, City deserved their ban. But, you know, within it, there was a lot of qualification. On this podcast last week, Oliver K gave a very, very good, you know, two or three minute monologue. And we had people telling us they wouldn't listen feelings. to it. And people saying, I don't want to listen to it. Or I think people might have listened to it, but didn't agree anyway, which I couldn't get my head around whatsoever. Um, but yeah, so in terms of other, you know, it's, it's very difficult to, to talk about other journalists or newspapers. Part of what Ollie mentioned last week, and maybe if I'm going down, I'm going to drag him down with me. But part <laughs> of what he mentioned last week was, you know, there are certain journalists who, who see City as kind of the evil element of this whole UEFA thing. And, you know, their articles are basically based on that principle. Um, and, you know, some, some have gone the other way and, you know, they're very defensive of City, which is obviously there. 
they're generally the the journalists that City fans are liking at the moment. Um, but I mean, whether whether it, you know the question was you know was it is it down to the desks you know the the media organisations their bosses or is it down to the writers themselves? Bit of both. Think it is with any article basically. You know, if you if you're asked to write about oh yeah, it's Real Madrid coming up this week. Can you write about what? Can you write something about City because it's Real Madrid? You know, that author will go, oh, um, this could be a chance for Pep to show that he's not a failure in the Champions League. Or, yeah. oh, this could be a chance. It's not somebody from the desk saying, can you give me 800 words not, on why, always, why this is? Not yeah. always. You know, there's a conversation to be had. You know, and I can only really give my experiences yeah. because somebody would say, oh, what are we going to write about this game? And I'll say, well, I think this. And they go, oh, that's a good idea. Or they might say, well, we want you to have a look at Pep's record in the Champions League and then I can put my own spin on it and go either, oh, well, he's been hard done by here or this is, hasn't been good enough or what I've done with the overthinking thing really which was my idea from the outset back in the summer before we'd launched so there's always conversations to be had and you know you could go the other way and you could say oh well it's it's Real Madrid so maybe this is Kevin De Bruyne's opportunity to be the best player in Europe you know maybe this is what's going to win in the Ballon d'Or so you know you've got leeway there as a journalist in my experience to do that with FFP yeah you can go you know if you don't think City have played by the rules you're not going to say let's hear them out but I, I appreciate that. That, to be fair, that probably wasn't a, a good example. If you think the city have been, if knowingly circumvented the rules, and if you've got sources within UEFA and within City who have confirmed that, then what are you going to do? Are you going to say, yeah, City need need to be punished? But I know part of the question from Paul as well is, and from others, is in terms of the balance and where do you put it. And the way I've always covered this story before this, like particularly last season, you know, when City had won the three trophies. And there was, oh yeah, but there's an investigation into um, the, the the signing of young players, which it could was the be FIFA a investigation ban. at the time, yeah, wasn't which it? could yeah. be a transfer ban. Which I was like, well, you can mention that, but I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say this could potentially diminish what they've won because there's this investigation because we don't know what the outcome of the investigation is. And it's, I'm kind of like that now with FFP. It's a little bit different though at the moment but it because, is because they have actually been found guilty. Yeah, it's now an appeal. FIFA, they didn't. Um, but it's now on appeal. But where I think... I wanted to answer this briefly, but I'm not going to be able to. <laughs> um, but what I would say is... I I can understand why journalists have said, look, City have done wrong here and they've been found guilty of it. But I... Personally, from my own point of view, and obviously I was bitten in the ass with the story we did on it anyway, when it when it turns out to go the other way, if City do overpeal it, uh, overturn this on appeal... And if City not just say, oh, you're have done this, but if City say, oh, yeah, here's all the context of the emails. And if City say, oh, here's the proof that Etihad had paid all that sponsorship money and it's irrefutable, which is what they've always said, then I, as a journalist, wouldn't want to have six months previously said, City are a disgrace. From my point of view, I wouldn't want to say City are a disgrace because look at what they've been found to have done by UEFA. Because if that does get overturned on City's own merits, then you've kind of gone in too early there. Yeah. So my, my approach to it is, let's see. And, but the thing is, if City don't prove that, if City can't prove that they won't do anything wrong, they can. the other side of this, of course, is UEFA, which yeah. is a whole other thing. And f- we're getting on to an hour now, so we can't go into the whole of that, but I completely appreciate the concerns people have got about UEFA, and that may well be proven the cast as well. So there's that element of it, which I would also kind of have balance when I'm speaking about it and when I do speak about it, and I am speaking about it right now. But from City's point of view, all I'm willing to say myself is, and if I have to write about this anytime soon, it will be, City need to prove that they haven't done anything wrong. I don't care if they can say that UEFA... If the investigation swept, was flawed. Yeah, or if the investigation whatever, yeah. was flawed or they've swept PSG's wrongdoings under the carpet, which deserves looking into, but just as important f- for me is City need to prove that's what they've done. And that's how I'm looking at it at the moment from the media point of view. I think there probably should be a bit more... Well, City have always said they can but I mean, I could at the same time I can understand why people are a bit more skeptical about that, and you know, personal opinion does come into it a lot of the way. Um, but you know, I can't I can't speak too often for other journalists. But like I say, if a, if somebody says you need to write about Man City, and why wouldn't you at the moment? Because there's so much to write, and it's not just because it's not open season on City. It's because it's the it's the biggest, biggest story, story in the, yeah. And you know, there has been a, you know, and it's not UEFA aren't quite as partisan as City are making out. You know, there are independent QCs on this board that have decided it. And look, maybe we'll get to the cast decision and maybe this city can prove that these QCs were leaned on by people in UEFA. Maybe they can. I mean, who knows? But yeah, people can write basically 
how they feel. You know, people have been covering this story for a long time, so maybe they've got a lot of information backed up over several years to, to support what they're saying. That you know, maybe they maybe they feel and maybe they know, or maybe they've been told. Maybe they could be wrong. You know, I was, I was told they weren't going to get a ban. I still don't think it was wrong, but it turned out to be. Maybe they can write that. You know, City have been doing this all along, and they've and they feel right in saying that. And maybe they can feel that the city's lawyers won't be able to go after them because City can't prove they've done nothing wrong. But my personal stance is, as I said earlier, with the whole second leg business, the second Let's leg is effectively cast. Yeah. And I know journalists listening to this would say. That's bollocks, really. City have been found guilty, and fair enough, they have been. But from my point of view, there's a whole, there's a whole other part of this to come, whether you like it or not. And if City can prove they're innocent, which I think is very difficult, but if they can, and I'm not saying this to kind of gloat with other journalists, I'm in no position to be doing that whatsoever. But if some of the journalists who have said City is disgraceful this and they've done this, if City do prove beyond any doubt that they haven't, People are going to look stupid, and that is what I would want to avoid as a journalist. But yeah, it's it's not a case of this, you know. Because look, if you look at the Daily Mail, for example, does Nick Harris not write for the Daily Mail? I think he does, but he's been critical of Martin Samuel, and Martin Samuel writes for the Daily Mail, and he's written very nice things about City in the Daily Mail. So it's not a case. It's of not a publication. The Daily thing. Mail's editor is not saying we need to hammer Manchester City. You know, it's. There's a lot of leeway for these journalists to have their own thoughts and opinions. And as long as those thoughts and opinions are well balanced, then fair enough. Obviously, fairly held? Fairly held, yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm sure a lot of City fans would say they're not. I'm not going to go into individual circumstances. I'm not going to go into individual journalists. There's a lot of journalists who are very pro-City or might not agree with. There are a lot of pro journalists who are very anti-City or might not agree with. You know, It depends on what's being said on the day. But it does come down to what those individual journalists want to say. Obviously, if the desk feel like they're going to publish that, you know, then that that's up to them as well. You know, they're not going to say, you know, this is. If there was some nonsense written either way, that was completely pro city or completely anti city, I'm sure it wouldn't be published either way. But um, yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a very difficult one. There's no, I don't think there's a neat way to sum up basically. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's it for this week's Why Always Us. <laughs> <laughs> the worst you, way to sum up it ever. You've Thanks been listening it. to the Athletic City correspondent Sam Lee. Yeah, thank you very much. And me, David Mooney. We'll be back next week. Don't forget for ad-free podcasts, make sure you subscribe to the Athletic and listen through the app. You can get a forty percent discount now by using the code Man City Pod. Mm-hmm.